This is Alex Elbrook. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm really pleased that my guest Donna Ferguson is back again today. And we are covering our regular feature on Cambridge Matters. Things that cross over between town and gown and things that we may not always have noticed that are going on. Good afternoon to you, Donna. Hi. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I say I've um, just been recovering from half term. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> course. <laughs> that, that's over. But anyway, we're back into it now. And you've got a few things for people to hear about, which they may not have spotted yet. These are all free as well, which is brilliant. Yeah, exactly. I'm a freelance journalist for The Guardian and The Observer, and I often write about kind of arts, news and things like that. I was lucky enough to be invited to the press preview of some of the exhibitions that have been on at the Fitzwilliam. And there's one at the moment which is called The Black Atlantic, and it's absolutely brilliant. What I really love about it is it examines those roots between Cambridge University and the slave trade and it exposes them and obviously they are very shameful but I think by acknowledging them and getting them out into the open that's how we can make reparations and bring about a sense of justice to the people that were harmed by saying well look look what was done look this is important everyone needs to know this everyone needs to hear the words of a person who was enslaved and, and wrote a book and actually came to Cambridge and see some of the objects that were made with enslaved people's labour. Technological reform was fueled by the need to transport and traffic people across the globe. I think there's been lots of controversy about keeping up statues, bringing them down. But I think a museum is a, an excellent place to do this because I don't know about you, but my history of anything was pretty shallow from what I learned at school. And again, history is often in the eye of the beholder. We get told what was thought that was important at the time. And certain things just weren't seen as a problem back in those days. Does it have a, a time span from when it sort of starts? So it's really fascinating, actually. So it actually, the Fitzwilliam Museum was created from a bequest that was made by someone called Fitzwilliam, Richard Fitzwilliam. And his generosity was possible because his grandfather had accumulated vast wealth as the co-founder of one of the key slave trade shipping companies. So his grandfather was Dutch and come over to England. He'd seen in Amsterdam how much wealth there was to be made from creating these shipping companies that shipped slaves. And so he thought, oh, that's a great thing. I'll do that. And, you know, he was extremely wealthy as a result of that. He grew, I think, first pineapple in the UK and then served it to the king. And that's why there's quite a strong association of the Fitzwilliam Museum with pineapples. And there's absolutely no regard for the terrible crimes that were inflicted on black people. So this is kind of trying to put this right. So it starts at the very start of the Fitzwilliam Museum. So it shows the portrait of the founder. And it's also got lots of objects from his collection, which were owned by other slave owners and slave traders. So it's very much personal to Cambridge University. And one of the other key items on display is 
a bell de Caterina that was actually donated to St. Catherine's College but it was discovered afterwards I think in 2019 like it was donated I think in the 1960s but it was discovered in 2019 that this had been the bell of a slave plantation and the bell is a key symbol of the slavery it was the bell that the, that people heard when they had to go to eat or they had to go to work it ruled their lives. So this bell was then taken out of the college. It's displayed now in the Fitzwilliam in this exhibition, overthrown. So it's like it's on its side to symbolise how we now feel about this. It's really interesting. So this is all relating to Fitzwilliams, which is good because obviously that means it's very, like you said, it's unique to here. So you won't see that same exhibition if you go to another museum. It's not like it's touring round. Yeah. I went to Bristol last year and they have, of course, again, a lot of connections to slave trade there, which they are trying to understand and work out what to do about. And one of the social history museums there was absolutely brilliant in the same idea of showing what happened. And we walked through and you know, you just, you can't really believe that people did this, but then looking at what's going on in the world all the time, it's, it seems to be things that put people apart is how power is based. Try and find I mean, a difference. Did, it did remind me of all the atrocities that are going on at the moment and makes you realise that, you know, human beings are capable of these terrible, terrible things. I mean, one of my favourite works in the exhibit was these dinner plates. So these really beautiful, beautiful dinner plates that this female artist has created. But on the plates themselves are like horrific pictures of slavery. And at first glance, they look kind of beautiful because they've got these botanic foliage intermingled with these grainy pictures, which were original, you know, illustrations from books at the time, which now, you know, we just look at and think they're horrific. But at that time, maybe they were seen as acceptable. I mean, it's just, it is really shocking. And and she said, you know, she wanted to create something that showed the impact on, on women of slavery. Most of the pictures show women. That's because there's this domestic association with plates. Also, there were a lot of plates created at the time showing these beautiful Victorian images and of the riches that the colonialism brought the Western world. So this is kind of an antidote to that. Mm. So it's really interesting. It's basically you're constantly seeing the other side of the story. And after I left the museum, I found myself like looking at things differently, you know, like a mahogany piece of furniture. You know, why is it that mahogany is valued and is sort of everywhere? And it's because it was a wood that was transported is popular because of the colonization and enslavement of lots of people i mean it's just it kind of just makes you see things differently yeah yeah so that's at the fitzwilliam at the moment it's the black atlantic power people and resistance it goes on right through to 7th of january and it's free they suggest you book at busy times it's probably more important to book that's fitzwilliam.cam.ac uk and it's a plan your visit and then if you go through to the black atlantic family friendly definitely i'd say yeah. and, and kind of interesting for children brilliant can we move on to the one at the hanong gallery now i'm going to yeah. let you pronounce the person's name because i think <laughs> i might get it wrong <laughs> yeah so it's sahela sakhan bari she's an iranian artist and this is at the Huang gallery in downing college i love that there's a public gallery in a Cambridge college because, you know, so many of these colleges, you feel like you're not supposed to go inside if, if you're not an alumni or a student or a fellow, you're not really welcome. That is not the case with Downing College when the gallery is open, which is between 12 to 5 p.m. Wednesday to Friday. You can just walk in and go to this absolutely stunning exhibition by Sahela. As I said, she's an Iranian artist and she paints 
women who were silenced during the Iranian revolution. So these are women, they were actresses, they were singers, they were dancers. And then there was the Iranian revolution in 1979. And suddenly all these women, you know, they were no longer allowed to do their jobs. They were silenced. And many of them were forced to go to Evan prison and sign letters of penitence for their careers. And they never sang again in Iran. They got talented, famous women and suddenly, no. Again, it's it's echoing now with some of the women that are trying in Iran to, to push back again now. And a girl just last week died from the morality police because she wasn't wearing a hijab and they imprisoned her and she's now died after being beaten up. So this is definitely an interesting topic, but also one that unfortunately is still still happening. We need to know about these things because we can all go along in a little bubble and think that things are just fine, but there's a lot of places that, that they aren't. So this is on right through to February. And it's called We Could Be Heroes, which is an interesting title as well. What it does really is to highlight exactly what you're saying about how the situation is continuing still for, for many women in Iran. They're still being, they're being made invisible. And I can't stress how beautiful these paintings are. They're quite small. And some of them have this amazing thing where you, you have to look at, you take a photo or you look at them through your iPhone and it inverts the colours. So there's this sense of this is how we are now and this is how we were. And she wants to show how women were by like making it relevant now, like look at this now, see how they were. You know, she wants to basically raise awareness about these amazing women, but also raise awareness about what happened to them and kind of restore their their place, their fame. So it's just it's a really like empowering exhibition, I'd say, and important. So it's not very, it's like one room. So yes, if you've yeah. only got, you know, 10, 15 minutes, you can go there, see a few of these portraits, whiz round, see them all if you're so inclined. But it's it doesn't have to take a huge amount of time. Yeah, that's what I love about the non-gallery. It's not very big. If anyone isn't aware, so Downing College is sort of almost directly opposite the <laughs> traffic lights are for Parker's yeah. Peace if you're coming off Parker's Peace. If you walked in, it's all signed from that gate. But if it isn't, I'm, I'm sure one of the porters would be able to point you in the right direction. Again, it's all free. 12 to 5, it's not open in the mornings and only Wednesday to Friday. I've been caught out before going on a day that it wasn't <laughs> open. Oh, thank you for those, Donna. They are really interesting and both very powerful exhibitions to go and see. Now we've got one more to talk about and this one caught my eye way back because this is my growing up time which is Spitting Image and it's a controversial history. It's going on at the moment and it goes right through to mid-February next year. You've gone along to see it haven't you Donna? I was lucky enough again to get a personal tour with the press officers because I write for The Guardian and The Observer but unfortunately I couldn't figure out a way to to get this in if I wanted to because it was such a good exhibition. Um, it's really funny and really fascinating to see how they actually made the puppets and use them. And it's got lots of letters, which I really love, of um, people who have been characterised and caricatured by the puppets and sort of either kind of trying to say it doesn't matter to them or slightly complaining. But either way, they're really, really funny. And then, you know, just how, how they actually put this show together, because it was very topical, but involved puppets, which sometimes, you know, if there was somebody new in the news, they had to make them from scratch. You know, this was in, started in 1984. So there wasn't a huge amount of technology. It wasn't like today, CGI and all that. This is all done by hand and there's real craft to it. So yeah, it's 
fascinating exhibition, especially if you are a fan of Spitting Image. I can remember it so clearly. So you say it started in 84 and it was the must-watch TV at those times because it was on weekly and it would be all on the week's politics or some celebrities, but mainly politics. I think I think those were the, probably the standout things. And like you say, they'd have to kind of adapt them for things that were happening in the news. And, you know, we had very little access. I'm not even sure the internet was around at that point. And how they got their news was really how, how it used to be, you know, much more basic and having to do that. Amazing. That's one I definitely want to go and see. And this has got much more generous opening times. The times are Monday to Friday, 9 till 6.30. Saturdays, 9 to 4.30, and they're closed on a Sunday. Is it in the university library? That's the only thing I'm not sure. Yes, it's where in you the find library. It. It's in the sort of in the basement. Well, you can go down some steps to get to it. But yeah, and you can also apparently go to the tea room sometimes, at least until two o'clock on Saturdays, right. which might be quite nice. But and this really, is the university library as opposed to the central library, which yes. I mean, most of us, including myself, have never been to the university library. I think it's down West Road. Exactly. Okay. And it's yeah. and that's what's really nice about it is it's actually welcoming people into the library. I mean, they've definitely had exhibitions before, but I think this one really does have a widespread public appeal. And what I really liked about one, one thing that I remember the press officers told me is that the show satirised the royal family in a way that was before Spitting Image, because really it was very taboo to mm. laugh at the royal family. And what he pointed out was that since Spitting Image, it's become more taboo as well. I mean, obviously people poke fun at Harry and Meghan, but many people do not want Prince Charles or Prince William, you know, they don't want to laugh at those of them. Um, or even King Charles now. <laughs> King Charles, of course, yeah. Forgot he'd been promoted. Yeah, um, exactly. But yes, that's really interesting to see how those attitudes, how it kind of challenged those attitudes, made it acceptable to laugh at the royal family, which is actually a long-standing tradition of satire. And then now it's, it seems to have become a bit less acceptable. So I thought that was that was just fascinating. And what I love as well is obviously it's great for children if you you know want them to see all these puppets. And it's still going on, isn't it? They're still they're still doing spitting image. So it's like a renewal of this generation. The other key thing, the reason why it's in Cambridge, is because I think it actually started it did. in Cambridge. Yeah, it yeah. Started, the, the two um, original puppeteers yeah. are Cambridge, and, and I think they still are, or at least one of them is. So, Fluck and um, Law were their surnames. Peter Fluck and Roger Law. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's great. I mean, we we're, we should be really proud of the fact that that Cambridge kind of gave this to the this amazing show to the world. Um, so it's great to see it celebrated by by the university in this way. And I do wonder about that thing about the, the being less taboo now. I think it, I'm sure it's because of the rise of social media and like the way that things can take off and go viral from little mm -hmm. comments that uh, can be misread and Twitter, which you know, formerly Twitter, now X, things were said by people and they would be taken in the wrong way out of context and things. And then they became kind of almost dangerous. So, you know, with the cancel culture and everything else now that people are obviously more worried about saying things some people some people maybe not so much but and so like you say it's become more difficult to have that kind of joking kind of thing I mean mock the week has gone have I got news for you is there but they have to be very careful often how they say things and you know someone recently they were taken off other things because of it so yeah I know it is it is uh, it's hard to believe isn't it that that even satire is is being challenged that you know maybe you're not allowed to be satirical because that is a long-standing British tradition dating back to like 
Hogarth in the 17th, 18th century. So it should, it really, it is very important that it continues. Um, and yeah, political satire, I'm all for it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> At this time, we need it. We need it to keep ourselves cheerful. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for those, Donna. They all sound really fascinating and I will make sure actually I get along to all of them because they're all running to uh, next year. Thank you very much for your time and see you again soon. Thank you. Bye. Cambridge 105 Radio.